The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. So it's a real pleasure to welcome Erin Platz to the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan. Erin heads up Silicon Valley Bank, or SBB, in EMEA, and she's led their growth across the region pretty much since SBB launched in London around 16 years ago. So Erin, um, a very warm welcome to one of my absolute favorite Americans in London. Thank you, Gary. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's go back all the way back to 2004. How did you come to join SBB and help launch their business in EMEA? So I guess time flies when you're having fun. So um, I found SCB, you know, very kind of randomly, to be honest with you. I, I joined Silicon Valley Bank out of straight out of university. And at the time, I was looking at a number of different ventures, but I realized I didn't have any money, I didn't have any contacts, didn't have any very good ideas. And I stumbled across the Silicon Valley Bank platform. And given our focus on supporting founders, our remit in the venture capital and private equity industry and focused on innovation, I thought, all right, this seems like a great place for me to learn and to grow. So I joined entry-level position at SCB in 2004 in, in our client services team and really have, over the last 16 and a half years, worked my way through a variety of different roles across the bank and have been working hard for the organization ever, ever since. In 2007, I got the opportunity to move from our, at the time I was in our Boston office, to the UK. And back then, there was about four or five of us on the ground. And we were the team, um, and I joined uh, Andy Sow, who was running the operation at the time. We were the team to really figure out, you know, what could Silicon Valley Bank build in the UK? What was going on locally in the ground? What type of relationships could we build with the brand and the platform Translate? And I'm, I'm very happy to report it you know, really has. So it's been phenomenal the last 13 plus years being part of the team on the ground to build up our operations to, gosh, we're almost 400 people now across five countries, but also to see just the ecosystem evolve so substantially in that period of time as well. Now, several of my recent guests have emphasized the need to um, improve diversity and inclusion. DNI in the tech and VC sectors. So, what steps have SVB taken to address those those issues, both internally and with your clients, if you're able to influence them in some ways? Yeah. So, it really it feels like recently there's been quite a step change, and and being in in financial services and innovation, they're not historically the most diverse of industries. So, there's a, a lot of work that needs to be done, but it feels like there's been a step change in the conversation over the last couple of months in a really positive way. So from our lens, we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you're right, um, our focus is both internal and external. I guess starting externally with our clients, a lot of our clients are fundraising, right? And they are they're reliant upon venture capital and private equity. And a lot of the topics centers around, you know, representation matters, sources of capital, having representation at the sources of capital matters. And a lot of where we've been focused is working with um, external parties that are providing data and insights so that we can better benchmark 
and measure where we are and where we need to get to. So we've been working closely with people like Diversity VC. We just had um, in our in our internal all-step update, we had Andy Davis by 10 by 10, who's the who um, helped co-produce the Black Report. So um, we're working with a lot of external partners to help bring shed some light on what's going on, crowdsource some ideas of what we need to do to make a tangible difference and take tangible action to get better results. But I think it's important to, you know, to baseline some of this stuff first. And then we're, you know, we're making investments in our contributions to some of these firms in terms of providing the data and producing reports, but also Tech Hub Accelerate. You know, we are a big supporter of that that foundation as well. So externally, again, trying to make sure that we're working across the board and diversity, of course, is not just measured on one metric. We're looking at ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, socioeconomic backdrop as well. Do you also look at other aspects of governance? Because another trend we're seeing is ESG. So do you take an interest in that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So from an ESG perspective, you know, I think the great part about the industry that we serve is a lot of our clients are naturally focused on ESG type initiatives. We're looking in internally as well at our policies and procedures. But yeah, it's definitely a topic that I would say the last three to six months has gained a huge amount of momentum. And so we're looking in uh, internally at ways to, I guess, increase our voice and footprint on the ESG side as well as DE&I. And you mentioned a few moments ago that the ecosystem has really evolved since you got to London. So what have been the biggest changes you've, you've noticed and, and what's exciting you most about the scene in, in London well, and in, in the whole of Europe these days? You know, back in 2007, um, one of the concerns that I had when I moved over here was it was the size of the market. And actually saying that today feels a bit strange because it's, there's just so much happening across the board. And, you know, the last probably five or six years, we've seen a huge amount of momentum in terms of, I would say, the, the number of repeat entrepreneurs, right? So we've had a number, state, number of uh, founders that have created companies and now they're on their second or third iterations. The depth and sophistication of capital locally, domestically, has gone up substantially. Now, there's still, I think, some gaps on the growth equity side. And there's still some, I would say, improvement in terms of the LP appetite to really foster the domestic capital base. But we've seen founders here locally go from wanting to create really solid, strong domestic businesses to having the ambition, the aspiration, and the skill set to create global category leaders. So that shift has really, I mean, it has really occurred, I would say, in the past five, seven, eight years. And we've got all the ingredients to be able to do that. The other, I would say, notable difference is the diversification from a subsector perspective. So when I moved over, there's a lot of consumer e-commerce businesses. And now the obviously the rise of enterprise software, fintech, they're still great consumer businesses. But across all of the subsectors, we've got just amazing quality entrepreneurs businesses being created. And of course, you know, you look at the amount of capital available uh, locally versus what it was 10 years ago, it's kind of night and day. So we don't seem quite as backward compared to Boston, New York, and, and San Francisco as we used to. 
never backward, just earlier in our evolution, right? Just earlier in our stage of, of maturity. So it's exciting. I mean, it's really, really exciting to see how quickly things have evolved. And I think the good news is, is looking out, even with the COVID backdrop, I remain extremely bullish over the next three, five plus years around European innovation. And we continue to get increased numbers of U.S. investors looking to deploy capital in the U.K. and Europe. And it's all down to the quality of the teams, the founders, and the opportunity. Good. I'm glad to hear that bullishness. And go to pick up on something you mentioned earlier about the increasing number of B2B businesses. B2B SaaS is a big growth area. Now, that's a sector that up till now seems to have been very much insulated from the worst ravages of COVID. Indeed, many of these companies actually seem to be enjoying COVID tailwinds rather than headwinds. When we last spoke, you mentioned that you're concerned that some of these businesses are actually being too optimistic. Uh, And only this morning, um, SAP, who admittedly are not a pure SaaS business, but SaaS and cloud is an important part of their uh, revenues. They cut their profit and revenue forecast and their share price, I don't know if you've seen, but their share price plummeted by over 20%. So how concerned are you about the next few quarters for uh, VC-backed B2B SaaS ventures? I think that there's no doubt that across across the our portfolio, across the globe, really, I mean, enterprise software valuations have stood up really well and in some areas increased substantially. The, the activity that we've seen in the private equity and buyout side, because of scarcity of uh, investment opportunities, these transactions have been really, really competitive and there's some fantastic quality businesses. I think taking a step back, a lot of the enterprise software companies that I'm referring to our loss-making venture-backed businesses. And actually, across the board, a lot of these uh, loss-making venture-backed businesses have had to make some, some tough decisions across the board due to COVID, right? So most companies have already taken out maximum amounts of the discretionary spend. A lot of them have drawn fully on their debt and banking facilities. A lot of them have already raised the inside round from their venture capital or private equity investors. And a lot of them have taken up most of the government-led schemes that are available to them. So across the board, most of the levers that these companies have to pull have been pulled. And there's not a whole lot of additional action that they can they can take to extend runway if things from a COVID perspective pan out to be longer in nature, longer in tenure than we anticipate. And I guess where I'm thoughtful is looking out at Q4, Q1, we haven't seen a full renewal process yet across the portfolio. So we're really keeping a close eye on churn for many of our companies that have annual renewals in terms of, of their business models. And the question then becomes, as we've talked about, is you know how, how mission critical is, is your software? And I think that's where we're looking at sort of Q4, Q1, are we going to see churn go up maybe higher than anticipated for some of these companies? And will that then create a knock-on effect because they don't have many other places to go to really continue to, to fund, fund the business? Now, by and large, again, really, really bullish on the sector, really bullish on enterprise software. It's the largest proportion of our, our lending portfolio. However, I think we need to be mindful that 
especially with some of these government schemes rolling off potentially in, in the next couple of months, I think we're going to see some companies run into some challenging times. It will further bifurcate the market. Have you explored these concerns with, say, the VCs, private equity, or, or even with some of the CEOs and entrepreneurs themselves? A lot of what we try to do is be a convener of, of the ecosystem and, and share best practices, share ideas and what we're seeing. And I don't think I'm alone in this particular, I guess, point. I think like many people, we're sort of waiting to see and, and trying to work with our founders to try to figure out what those leading indicators are. And once we see things happening and playing out in real time, we're sharing that information with our portfolio, with investors, and, and hopefully they'll do the same so we can you know, quite quickly share best practice and what we're seeing across the industry because some of this stuff is happening you know, in real time and it's, it's really hard to get that crystal ball out and see what may happen. I could very well be wrong. We could go into Q1, Q2, Q2, Q1, and prices will continue to be um, really, really high and we won't, we won't have any of that churn that I'm anticipating. But it's always good to, to plan for plan A, B, and, and C. Okay, so a little word of caution there, Kurt. What are your thoughts on the shift to Zoom and the work from home culture? How has that affected the way that SVB hires staff, but also runs its business? We fully embrace the Zoom and working from home model globally, right? Um, we only have a very, very small percentage of our, of our workforce globally that's actually back in the office. So we are still fully remote. And what I would say is, well, it's a couple of things. So I think we, we, we found in the beginning and through today, efficiency has gone up. I think, you know, people aren't commuting. It's much easier to get FaceTime. Zoom is the massive equalizer across geographies as well. But I think that there's some question marks for me around in this continued environment around effectiveness. Not having the ability to get together in person to share ideas, to brainstorm, to communicate. I wonder if effectiveness starts to tail off if we're in this environment for, for all that much longer. It hasn't stopped us from, from growing and hiring. We've hired probably about 50 to 60 people since, since March across our EMEA business. And we've done all of that remotely, including interviewing, onboarding, training. And we're spending a lot of time internally around how do we deliberately change the way we do things to not just attract and onboard our talent, but to maintain it or retain them as well. People, I think, need different levels of support because of COVID, because of working from home. But of course, given you know, everything that's happening externally, there's probably more pressure and stress and anxiety that our respective employees are, are dealing with now than, than they ever have before. So we're really investing a lot and in trying to deliberately find solutions to help with that mental health and, and well-being, but also just effective and efficient in terms of allowing people to do their jobs with, with new and different tools. You mentioned you're investing a lot in mental health and well-being. Have you found any particular tools or techniques or solutions relevant to COVID, relevant to this virtual world that we're all now living in? There's some actually really simple tactical things that we've implemented. And I was I, I'm surprised at how well they've worked. And, and we work, obviously, in a global organization. So the days are really long. 
So we've got morning, you know, you could start really, really early and then end up, especially on the West Coast HQ with, with calls quite late in, in the evenings. So we've done some really simple things like blocking out all of our EMEA staff's calendars for, for three hours on Wednesday mornings. And this is working time, but it's giving people the opportunity to, to catch up halfway through the week because most of us are on Zoom call after Zoom call after Zoom call. So actually having time to do the work as opposed to just creating more work for the to-do list has been helpful. We're stopping any internal meetings for EMEA staff around 4.30 p.m. during the week to allow for access to calendars for our West Coast colleagues. Again, so you're not doing calls at 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, pushing those a little bit earlier in the day. And then we're, we've also put a freeze on internal meetings on Friday afternoon. So people can play a little bit of catch up through the week and, and hopefully go into the weekends with having a little bit more of that bifurcation of work and weekend and work and, and home life. So these are really simple tactical things that we found that have worked you know, pretty well. We've um, refreshed and updated our sort of buddy systems and especially for new joiners, right, that have never met anyone in person. Having that one-to-one buddy program has been really helpful. Doing much more on the mentoring side to help with our DE&I efforts as well has been hugely, hugely positive. A few very small tactical things that when you add them up has been helpful. And then we, we've also brought in some experts on the mental health and well-being side to give talks, to create really safe spaces for employees to share. And, you know, to help acknowledge that this is a really difficult time for everyone and that's okay, but it's how you react to that and support one another that's really critical. I like your phrase. I'm not even sure if I can say it, but bifurcation, I think that was the phrase between work and home life. That is so important. And I've I've had to learn that lesson myself over the last six months because it's so easy to find yourself working seven days a week and every evening when everything's done virtually. You might want to investigate uh, yogic breathing as well. It's the one thing that's kept me sane. I don't do yoga, but I've just taught myself using some YouTube videos. I've taught myself how to do yogic breathing, and um, you may find you may find yourself. Well, you wouldn't want to do it in front of too many other people because you might feel a bit silly. But it really helps to just calm you down and bring you to a a place where you feel more grounded and more able to cope with everything going on around you. It's uh, well worth checking out. Let's think about the future for a moment. So yes, these are uncertain times and we've touched on some of these issues earlier on in this conversation, Brexit, COVID, and some major political upheavals in the States too. What's your vision for SVB's EMEA business in 2021 and beyond? You know, there is so much uncertainty. Obviously, the macroeconomic environment is a is a challenging one. COVID, now we're seeing numbers go you know, up again across the globe, which is concerning. But even with those headwinds, I, I remain really bullish around the innovation economy for the UK and Europe in 2021 and, and for our business as well. There's just too much talent. There's too much momentum. There's too much ambition. There's too much dry powder on the sidelines that has been raised over the last number of years for us not to see, I think, the tech sector and the innovation economy being a leading light um, in the UK and, and across, across Europe. 
um, to kind of help us manage out of out of the crisis. So, you know, how that manifests itself will is t- TBD. Will there be some stops and starts and some challenges? Absolutely. But I see us, you know, continuing to invest locally. We're still hiring a, quite a number of people across the board at, at SCB for our MIA operations. I'd like us to continue to look at geographic expansion and finding ways to add value to our clients, you know, well above and beyond the day-to-day banking and financing side, right? That's the, that's the bread and butter that needs to work like clockwork. But our clients are looking to us to help them in quite a different way. And, and I don't see that stopping in, in 2021. And, you know, I think one of the hardest things to do right now in this environment is to, is to network. Right, networking is really difficult. But one of the most important things that we're hearing from our clients is access to our network or to networks is one of the most critical things because they're not stopping with geographic expansion or with hiring or with raising capital. And so if we can find a way to leverage our respective networks to help enable, you know, the innovation economy across the board, I think that will be a really phenomenal thing for for all of us going into, into next year. So hopefully I'll people, you know, give first. Uh, And I think if we collectively hold each other to that type of mentality, I think it'll be a really exciting year ahead. Now, you actually host and obviously attend quite a few networking events. You talked just a few moments ago about how important networking is for your clients. What do you think will happen when we have COVID somewhat under control? I don't mean having it wiped out because of that it's probably going to take two or three years. But let's imagine a time, say, six months from today, so you know, end of Q1 next year, maybe Easter time. Do you think the whole world of startup, the tech sector, will jump back in and throw their weight behind real physical networking events rather than persevering with these virtual events that seem to have become all the vogue over the last six months? I think a bit of both. So what we've found is our reach for doing content-led webinars has been really, really fantastic, right? And our clients like to consume information in a different way. Recording it, making it more self-serve has been really a welcome change. So I don't, we're not going to stop doing that activity, even if we go, uh, you know, even if a vaccine has been been found and, and fully rolled out. I think that's here to stay. I think in Q2 next year, when things are maybe a little bit better, but not fully, you know, to your point, it's going to take a little, little bit longer than a couple of quarters, I think, to get back to whatever normal is. I think there'll probably be more of a hybrid. Our conversations with our clients and our employees is people really do want that human interaction. So I don't think we're going to see the return of huge conferences in 2021, or at least in the first half. But I think the you know the smaller smaller dinners, lunches, breakfasts, where it could be much more curated, able to do it in a safe way. I, I see that starting to come back, maybe in Q2, Q3 next year, and then we'll you know build back into the very very large global conferences, which I think are are going to be a challenge next year. And something else I'm keen to explore with you, who from the tech sector or from the world of investment and VC, who has most inspired you? Who are the people out there whose vision, whose approach you admire? Who are your inspirations in our world of tech and investment? 
That's a hard one. That's a curveball question. <laughs> I have to say, one of the reasons that I've I've stayed at STV so long is I I feel so fortunate to be able to work with these entrepreneurs that are you know, fundamentally changing um, the way we work and we live. And it's such a difficult job. Um, you know, founding, scaling a business is is so, so very difficult. So it's hard to pick just one. <laughs> I would say, you know, maybe thinking about the last to nine months, there's been some operators who've been just tremendous to observe. And, you know, if you look at the CEO, Alex Saint of, of Secret Escapes, obviously that business you know, is right in the middle of the travel sector. And the way that he navigated that the COVID crisis and led his team is, is just so inspiring. I'm sure there's many, many other, other cases that I can't think of at the top of my head. But, you know, I think you get to see what a great leader is, um, especially in times of trauma and uncertainty. And so I, I'd call out Alex and, and his leadership as being just first class. Brilliant. Okay. Well, Erin, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Gary. It's been a pleasure. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.